Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. I want to talk to you for a little while about the trust process. I want to say trust. Have you ever played that game, Trust? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's where one person stands in front of the other person, and then they have to lock their knees and fall back, and the other person has to catch them. Have you ever seen someone play that game? How many have played that game? Raise your hand. Is it kind of scary? Do you feel like you're not sure if you can trust the person? I um, I sometimes feel like that with God. <laughs> Like I, I need to fall into him, but I'm not sure if 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 everything's going to work out okay. Because I'm human. Anybody here human? Anybody feel like you need to fix it when it gets broken, and you need to make sure that it's secure? And, and it's okay to be studious and cautious in life. But I want you to know that there's some things you have to surrender to God, and um, that's the process that He puts us in. And and I want to read from. Romans chapter 12, you can stay seated for just a moment. Um, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Everyone say reasonable. reasonable. It's reasonable for me to expect someone that's serving me at a restaurant to refill my drink, right? That's what they're there for. That's what they're doing. They're serving the people that are customers. They're making the customer happy. God, in his word, says it's reasonable for you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto people. Acceptable unto people's opinion of you? No, unto God. And be not conformed. This is a big one. And be not conformed. Or be not shaped to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Everyone say, perfect will of God. God. Amen. This is where some people get the teaching of permissible or perfect will of God, where you can be living for God and be in a permissive will of God, that he permits it with his grace, or you can be in the perfect will of God. There's two different spaces. I want to live in the perfect will of God. How about you? There's other place, There's another place in Scripture that talks about the perfect will of God. But I want you to know that if you're living for God wholeheartedly, you will automatically walk right into the perfect will of God. Amen. So, for I say there through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think so soberly according to God, according as God hath dealt with every man, dealt to every man the measure of faith. I want to stop there because I want to talk to you. I'm going to share with you a story. I'm going to share with you a few things that I've been through, and I want to talk to you about a process that I've been through where I had to trust God. Amen? And I hope it resonates with you. So let's pray today. Jesus, your word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword dividing to the soul and spirit, to the thoughts and intents. And Lord God, there's nothing like it. So I'd ask that you'd use your word today to equip us, instruct us, use it to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. How many remember the story of me um, at the Brewers game about two years ago? 
Um, yeah, some of you were there. I think Rob and Tanya were right behind me. And and so I'll tell you the story. I was at a Brewers game, and this is all part of this message, but um, I had made a promise to my daughter, a father's promise. And so I, I thought it interesting that God answered my prayer the way he did. And I was like, man, that's really cool. I've got really good prayers. I, I've got a secret that God, like, and you know, there's a little bit of truth to that, and I'll tell you why. So I stand up. It's like the eighth, bottom of the eighth inning or something. It was getting late in the game. I can't remember exactly what it was. But my daughter at the beginning of the game had come up to me and asked me, Daddy, can you catch a baseball for me? <laughs> That's a big order. We all know that. So I was like, yeah, baby, I'll catch a baseball for you. I'll, if it comes to me, and then I like revised my statement, if there's one that comes to me, I'll catch it for you. And so I was like, you know, there's there's no way. At that moment when she asked me, I'm like, chances are so slim, maybe one in 50,000 that I'd actually catch a baseball out of the, you know, out of the actual game. So I'm standing there. It's about eighth inning. I've had my mitt sitting on my knee the whole time. And I'm going, you know, I'm just going to see if I can pray about this. And, you know, who cares? It's a it's a baseball game, whether you catch a ball or not. But I had made a promise to my daughter, and that promise meant something to me. I was like, you know what? If I make her a promise, I should at least show that I'm giving it an effort. <laughs> so if I make a, if I make a, I wonder if I could just jump off here for a second. But if you make a promise to God, you should at least show that you're making some effort. Amen. You should at least give it everything that you've got. Whether you've got to pray, you've got to struggle, whether you have to try with everything that's in you. Effort, effort is an indicator of intention. Amen? And it's an indicator of dedication. And that's why there's always going to be some sort of monitor and some sort of indicator of our dedication to God. If you're not putting any effort into your walk with God, and if you're not inserting any any of your decision making in your in your struggle, and you're saying, I'm doing this for the Lord, whether it, I don't know how it's going to come out, but I'm doing it because I made a promise to God that I'm going to walk with Him, and I'm going to be a Christian, and I'm going to do what it takes to live for God. God, if you're not putting effort in, then I wonder how dedicated you are to the promises you make. Now, we all make promises that we can't keep. I understand that because we're human. But God makes promises that he will never fail on. Amen? So I'm going to teach a little bit, but here's the deal. I stood up, and I put my mitt in my hand, and I just went, and I looked back at Rob and Tony. I said, Lord, don't make me beg. And I just set my mitt right here. I just put my mitt like up like this. I said, Lord, don't make me beg. Because I know how much God does not like begging. I don't know if you ever read in the scripture of that little woman that was begging Jesus and coming behind him and begging him and begging him. And he was just ignoring her. But when she turned from begging to worship, Jesus stopped. I don't know. I'm trying to get to the point here, but whenever I I told God, don't make me beg, I understood in Scripture that God is not interested in his children begging. The Bible says that he has not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed, his children, begging for bread. God does not like begging. That's why when you want the Holy Ghost, you don't come down and go, give me, give me, give me, give me, God, give me, give me. You don't do that. And and whenever you're praying God for to God for something, you don't say, God, if you 
give it to me, if you just give it to me, if you just, if you just give it to me. No, it's not that way. If you just open yourself to worship, he is a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. The Bible even says if you're a human man, a father on earth, and you know how to give good gifts to your kids, that how much more is our heavenly father able to give good gifts to his children, amen? So I know God does not like when I beg, amen? So I stood up and I said, God, don't make me beg. And I knew what I was saying. It was a whole lot deeper than a baseball game. It was founded in scripture that I've learned over my lifetime. And I look back at Rob and him like, yeah, you, you probably know what I'm saying right now. God's not going to like me begging. And so I said, God, don't make me beg. And right when I said that, I heard crack. And off the bat of one of the pirates that hit off the pitcher of the brewer came a ball and it started curving and it started cutting. And we were over on the on the third base side and I see some smiles because some of you were there. And, and I'm like standing there holding my mitt going, oh Lord. <laughs> he just answered that because it's turning right at me and it's moving over 100 miles an hour. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that, that ball's coming in fast. And all I did was move my mitt from right here to right there. And I... Literally, Mike, I did not have the chance. <laughs> I, I did not have the chance to even realize how fast it was coming in. I just went, I went, oh Lord, he's answering the prayer. That's, all, that's the only thought I had. And when I reached out, I lined up with where it was out there, and it was, poof, it was in my mitt that fast. It came in that hard. Literally, I put my glove in front of the face of a woman that would have got taken out by the ball. And it's wham! It's that girl right there, Rachel Resky. I literally caught it in front of her face. And so I went like this to like this, and I caught the prayer I just be- I just asked God for. I was like, Lord, don't make me beg. And so then I, like, after, I'm like looking around like, yeah, hey, check it out. I'm on the Jumbotron. I'm like, I got a ball. I'm at the game. Check me out. And so I'm having a great time, and I'm like celebrating what I just did, and I'm like, wow, man, that was an awesome catch. And this guy like five rows down is probably half drunk. I'm surprised he's even standing. He's like, man, you are awesome, man. He's like going off. He's like, dude, that was a awesome catch and then there's people over here like throw it back throw it back you're supposed to throw it back I'm like I'm not throwing it back I just got an answer to prayer I'm not giving this thing back they're like no no it's from the other team you're supposed to throw it back on the field I'm like shut up man this is for my daughter Jesus gave me this go pray it doesn't say you know so I'm having a great time because I realized that God answered my prayer in a very a very simple prayer. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I figured it out. So now when I pray, I'm like, okay, so from now on, since this really gets quick answers, because this is how human I am, when this really gets quick answers, when I really want something from God, I'm just going to go, Lord, don't make me beg. You know I need that new car, Jesus. Don't make me beg. <laughs> you know I need that house, Lord. Don't make me beg. I'm, I'm thinking through my head that I can, you know, get stuff from the Lord because I'm real human. Anybody? human here anybody know that sometimes you don't mean to be me is have a lot of meisms, but you still do it so I'm sitting there going man that's cool I'm gonna try that someplace else and then the Lord says to me I didn't give you that just because you knew that I don't like begging I gave you that because you made a promise to your daughter mm. and so I realized that I wasn't even the reason why I could catch that ball. I had made a promise to somebody else, and God says, I love it when a father makes promises to his children. 
oh, I love it when somebody makes promises to his children, and I'm going to show you what that means to me, because I'm a God who is a father of all things, and I make promises to my children, and you tapped into the love stream of what I like to do for my kids, and because you made a promise to your daughter, I'm going to show you how valuable promises really are. So I didn't have to beg. He just provided the promise, but I had to go through a process because I thought it was about me. I thought it was because I played baseball when I was younger. I could catch that ball coming in fast. No, it wasn't about that. It was about the fact that I had made a promise to my daughter. How many know you can trust in the promises of God? Amen? I hope I've impressed you with that story to understand that there was something deeper going on than just me understanding I'm catching a ball. It was that God loves to see his children blessed even when it's little things. Even when it's little things. Hallelujah. God, God doesn't make promises. Okay, so let me teach you this concept, okay? God doesn't make promises for the obvious. Okay, when you read through God's word and you see a promise in the word of God, it is not an obvious thing. Okay, he makes a promise because he knows there's going to come something. Something is going to come to your life, a circumstance, a struggle, a situation is going to happen in your life that will make you doubt that God can do that for you. And so therefore, a promise is never for something that's obvious. Does that make sense? Okay, let me dig a little bit deeper on that. Whenever you're talking about, when you're talking about my relationship with my wife, Sarah, I never promised my wife that I'm going to be a white man. <laughs> I, I, I never promised her the obvious because she doesn't have to worry about me keeping my promise of being a white man. I'm going to stay a white man. She's not going to wake up one morning and go, Hey, brother, <laughs> how you doing? I'm going to say, hey, sister, and I've changed pigment color. You know what I'm saying? I, she's never going to wake up, and I'm going to go, how are you doing this morning? I'm never going to change what I really am. So she, I don't have to promise. You know, I hope that's funny to you because I'm trying to keep your attention so that I can keep going here. But there's some things that happen. There's some things that happen, and you know that had it not been for God's promises, you wouldn't believe God for anything that you're trusting him for. But if you have his promise, then you have something that is sure and something that is concrete. I, we still write checks. Now, some of us don't yet. We've all moved on, kind of on to electronic debits and stuff like that. But every once in a while, we still write a check. Anybody still write checks? Can you spend a check? When somebody gives you a check for $1,000, can you go spend that check? No, you can't. <laughs> Oh, sure. She's so willing to be a part of the sermon. Oh, sure. If I take a check of $1,000 and I say, I want to buy, buy Rob's bike. Here, here's a check for $1,000 written to me. Here you go, Rob. There's 1000 bucks. You know what? He's going to say, please go cash that and bring me the money. Because the check is, is not able to purchase anything. The check is a promise note that there's money behind it. Amen? So God's promises are just like checks that he writes, and he never bounces a check, amen? There's always something good behind it. It's always good for what he writes the check for. So if God promises you that he's going to help you in your family or in your struggles or in your situation, I promise you that's not a rubber check. He's written out and he's put his name on it, and with his name comes all provision, amen? 
Oh, that's good. So I want you to know that when God blesses us and when God decides to do something for us, we have to realize that we are going to doubt his promises. Amen? It's going to look like at times like it's not going to come to pass or else there would be no reason for the promise. I tell you this, that when we praise God, he inhabits our praise. Amen? But when we worship God, we worship him because we know that he is worthy of the worship. We know who he is. I can praise him for a nice car. I can praise him because I've been able to buy a suit. And I, I can praise him because I have the ability to go to the eye doctor and, and be able to see because I have really bad eyes if I don't have glasses and, and contacts. So I can praise him that I have the money to go and the wherewithal to go and get in my car and drive to work. I can praise him because he's given me a nice house. But praise is always based upon what God has done for you. But there comes a time when you have to move out of praise and trust God's promises because you know who he is. So that means that I can come in here and I can lift my hands and I can worship God, Mike, regardless of whether I have a nice car to drive. If I came here in a hoopty, it doesn't matter. He still deserves worship. Amen. If I come here and there's mice running around my basement and I have a house that has a little bit of run-down shape to it, it's just not well cared for, and I'm trying to do the best I can with the, the small job that I have to fix it up, I don't have to have a mansion to worship God, amen? I can come here with a, with a house that's dirty, with kids that I had to holler at on the way here to get them. Oh, come on, somebody. You had to yell at them to get them in the car, yell at them to get them into church. You know what I'm talking about. And you get here and you're feeling like, I wonder if anybody had a morning like I had, but I don't have to praise him. I can praise him on the fact that I know that he's good to me, but I can worship him regardless of how my morning went. Okay. So I'm telling you that the power of worship is knowing who your God is and that he's able. And God does his best work in trouble. In fact, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. And I don't usually like to tick people off this early in the morning. But <laughs> oftentimes, when God promises you something, trouble comes next. And I'm sorry to have to tell you that. But the beautiful thing is God might inhabit his pra our praises, and he might love our worship, but he lives in trouble. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, the Bible says. So he literally sets up nourishment when we are in trouble that we would never have had we not got into trouble. There are feasts and places where we sit down and we take in nourishment and we eat of blessing that would never be there had we not stepped in front of enemies because he doesn't prepare a table before us the same way when we're doing good and everything's going right. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, in the times of struggle. Am I preaching okay today? Do you understand that there is a special blessing that he gives us where he says, I am a very present help in the time of trouble. We feel like God's with us all the time, but just get yourself in trouble and find out how close God will get. He will show up. And when you get done with the struggle, you'll realize he was closer to you and he did more for you and he sifted more out of your life and he changed you more than you could ever imagine while you were going through the struggle. I come to tell you that there is always a continual struggle and 
in the life of the people of God. Amen? There is always a battle going on. And I want you to know that you're not alone yelling at the kids coming to church. Me too, okay? You're not alone when someone cuts you off on the freeway and you're like, hmm, I'd like to say a few words, but I'm a Christian. So I'm just going to stay with, bless you, God bless you, Jesus' name, help you. May the Lord be with you today. I'm, I'm, because I've got a testimony to keep. You see, my testimony is more important than me talking to somebody or cursing somebody. But me too, okay? I need you to understand that there is a power in the presence of God when we're in struggle, but we also have to realize that all of us struggle, amen? And it's common to the human condition. I heard a quote from Oprah Winfrey, and I'm not really an Oprah Winfrey fan, but she has interviewed so many different people from dignitaries to Beyonce and all of these different people that she she's interviewed every time the camera turns off almost without fail they lean forward and they say was that okay because the human condition is that we need acceptance we need encouragement we need love we need to know that what we did was good and right amen And so I need to tell you that there comes times when all of us have to realize that it's not just one big person that's able to do it so well that we all have to learn from. Even the best of us have downward struggles, amen? Even the highest callings have base struggles, amen? So we have to realize that even in those things, that there's, there's a place for that. There's a, there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in the fact that we all have to go through the process. There's a metamorphosis taking place in all of us. God has a different construction project than some of the ones we think he should be on. Sometimes he walks in with the construction hat and says, okay, we're taking out this wall and we're going to tear down that relationship and we're going to move you over here and we're going to set you in a place that's not very comfortable while I'm doing renovations over here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so God will be a God who comes in with a wrecking ball at sometimes and he takes out some stuff that you thought was going to stay there. But I promise you this, if you trust God and if you put your hand in his hand, he will never lead you a place he doesn't have grace to keep you in. He will never take you someplace where he's not going to give you better when he gets done. And I want you to know that God is a God who is able, more than well able, to do what he has designed for your life. I have so much going through my head up here. When God promises, get ready for trouble, struggle, struggle, yeah, all that. Struggle, trouble, all that. God has promised many things. Can I rehearse for you a couple promises from the word of God? Is that okay? 1 Peter 1 and verse 4 says, because he has... Because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. That's going to be a little bit different because that's King James. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. How many need a future and a hope? Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn from me. Sorry, that's King James. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I know these by memory in another version, so sometimes it jumps into these versions. I just start reading it. Isaiah 40, 29, 31. He gives power to the weak. Everyone say power to the weak. 
Anybody been weak? Anybody been weak this week? Amen. They say a week without prayer makes one week. Seven days without prayer makes one week. We need prayer. So he says he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord, everyone say trust in the Lord, will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. I wonder what that would be like. I'd like to experience that. Amen. Run and not grow weary. I know that's referring to life. They will walk and not faint. Philippians 4.19 and and this same God who takes care of me will supply all. Everyone say all. all. It's important that we recognize that small little three-letter word. It will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. King James says he'll pl- supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He will supply all of them according to his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for the gift that Jesus gave us. Romans 8, 37, 39. Is this okay that I'm just reading some of these promises to you? All right. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Everyone say overwhelming victory. That's not just like we snuck in. (laughs) We hit it at the buzzer. You know, it's not that. It's overwhelming victory, literally to crush to the point of it didn't even matter. It wasn't even a contest. Who loved us, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears. Anyone say fears? It's a big one, right? For today... Nor for nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That's a pretty serious statement. Not even the forces of darkness can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth beneath, below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Proverbs 1.33 says, But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. That's a really cool promise. Untroubled by fear of harm. John 14.27 says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is the gift of the world the world cannot give. The peace he gives, no world, this world cannot give you. You can't get it anywhere. So don't be troubled or afraid. The promise of God are pow- promises of God are powerful and awesome to grasp. That's an interesting statement. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, I like that because I'm old school. Paul, he gave promises to hold on to. When everything else seems to be shifting. I want to tell you about Paul real quick. And then I want to tell you one more thing. And then we'll be done today. But Paul was in a boat. And he's headed to be tried. And put before the court. And they came into a storm. And Paul told them not to 
not to come out of the harbor. He told them not to to set sail, but they didn't listen. And the centurion that he was that was in charge of Paul, he had him bound, and he was taking him to the place where he was going to be, um, you know, judged, and they were going to he's going to court basically for his and being tried for his crimes according to what they called crimes. And so Paul finally stands up and he says, man, there's going to be some things lost here. We're, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to lose our lives, but we're, we're, we're going to make it, but there's going to be some things that are lost. And I felt like I was supposed to come here today and tell somebody that don't hold on to the things that are carrying you whenever you may lose them. We spend sometimes preaching in churches and encouraging people to hold on to things that are temporary. And if I've ever done that, please forgive me. Because temporary blessings are not meant to stay. God did not promise Paul that the boat would make it. He promised Paul because the boat broke up, the ship broke apart. He promised that nobody would lose their life. And God promises each one of us salvation. Amen? So, we have to realize that God doesn't promise you that you're going to get there in the car that you're driving now. And somebody said, oh, hallelujah. (laughs) I'm glad another car is on the way. (laughs) I didn't look at you, Lisey, for any reason. (laughs) She calls her car the hyphen. It's just the car in between the next car. (laughs) Just the one that I'm on my way to the better one in. But while we have stuff, see, so many of us, and the prob- I'll put an arrow in the problem, I promise you today. The problem is we fall in love with the stuff we have and forget that he's got better for us. Amen? And for some people, the, finding better is difficult. For some people, they have a lot. They have a lot of things, and it's hard to let go of. But the interesting thing about money is if you are constantly scrambling, there's, there's two kind of people. They're scrambling to get money, and then there's another person who's got all the money, and they have plenty of money. But the interesting thing is it's always a fight when you're dealing with money. Because if you don't have enough money, you're trying to make enough money. But if you have enough money, you're trying to keep your money. (laughs) If you're rich and wealthy, you don't know who your friends are. Because they might be your friends based upon how much money you have. So they never really know who's really a friend and who isn't. You don't want to be a rich person. It's not a very easy life. And some of you are like, I'd like to try it. (laughs) Give me a chance. I'll try rich for a little while. But it is true. No matter where you come from and no matter what you do, you, you have some of the same struggles. People who are trying to get enough money to pay their bills are fighting to get enough money. People who have enough money are, are fighting to keep people from taking their money and keeping it and, and sheltering it. And it's all just a big struggle. So I want you to know that when we're looking at the Word of God and when we see Paul fighting things, he's, he's like... I wasn't, we weren't promised this ship, but we were promised that we're going to get off this boat alive. The, and I want to tell you that things might break up in your life. The, the, the ship hit the rocks and it broke into pieces and there was nothing left. But Paul said, grab a hold of a piece of the ship and swim towards shore because everybody's going to make it. And so if there's some things that are broken up in your life, if there's some things that are taken out of your life, or there's some things that fall apart, I come to preach this morning, get yourself a piece 
piece of what used to be and hold on because God's promise is he's going to get you through it, not everything that you are having attached to you through it. So everything that you're living in, you might lose a house. I don't know if it's going to happen to you, but if you lose the house, don't hate God for it. Just say, God, I'm moving on. You promised me you're going to keep me, not keep the house I'm in. If you lose a car, trust God. The process will work. He's going to make it good for you. And somehow through the metamorphosis and the changes of getting there, you become a better person. So it's not the boat that you need to focus on. Some people are so so focused on their stuff, they can't see the Savior that that gave them the stuff and can give them more of something just like that if they would just learn to trust the promises of God. It's so powerful that we see God doing the very thing that we do, and that's struggle. Jesus, the name of Jesus, J-E, comes from Jehovah, the Old Testament, and S-U-S on the end of the name is become our salvation. And God is a spirit, and he came in flesh through the womb of a woman. But we even see God in flesh struggling, just like we struggle. He was tempted, the Bible says, in all points, like we are, yet without sin. And you know why that's significant? Because one of the most engaging factors of anything you ever encounter is the fact that there are people just like you there. People will come to a church because there's people like them there. Now, I know there's different ways to work that in. And I know there's a fact that even though God loves us the way we are, he loves us too much not to change us. And so some of us are at different levels with our walk with God. And when people walk in, we're living in this realm with the Lord because we've made so many sacrifices. And he's brought us through this process so many times where we went from a metamorphosis and we went to flying in an area and God has changed the way we think about some things in scripture and changed the way we live. And we, and we live through instruction of the word of God and through revelation in our beliefs. And we know that, that whenever we give God blessing in our tithe, he returns blessing to us. When we give him the first 10th, he blesses the other, the other 90%. We understand that because we've lived on it. And, and I've, lived where I didn't pay my, I want to be real right now, I lived where I didn't pay my tithes. When I was a younger man, I thought, well, you know, I could I could put this back and I could throw that in savings and, and, and I started living where I didn't give to God blessings that he gave to me. And the Bible says that you give according to your increase. Even some people take that so far as to say that any increase that comes into their life, they try to return something to the kingdom of God. But I want you to know that even when I was there, I found it difficult. I had stuff that would break down and things that would go wrong. And I'm not saying it gets all a, it becomes all a better roses whenever you start doing the principles that God teaches you in the word. But I promise you this, if you listen to me carefully, whenever I started tithing on a regular basis, for some reason the bills made it. Somehow the paycheck got there. Somehow things made it. And so where I'm at right now is just a simple process of me being changed over my lifetime and being worked on by God. And, and, and if there's anything 
anything beautiful in my life, it's because he took that which was ugly and he transformed it into something that was beautiful. And so we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's facing something very ugly. He's facing something very, very horrible, a death that no man should be forced to die. It's literally a created torture device called the cross that the Romans created to torture somebody to the point where they literally would possibly have to break their legs just for them to finish dying because they would be tortured for so long on the cross. And there's over 200 plus uh, prophecies in the word of God of how Jesus got to the cross. But the most beautiful thing to me is that he's in the garden as a man, praying as a man. Hebrews tells us that he prayed as a man and, and that when he prayed as a man, he felt the struggle that we all can feel at times. And he literally said, not my will, but thine be done. He submitted himself to the eternal will of God that was brought, that brought him to the earth and put him in the place of sacrifice. And I want you to know that as I'm finishing this sermon, that I must preach to you that we have to have a revival in the church of the understanding of the struggle that we all go through, that he went through as well. He said, I don't want to go through the process. I don't want to go through the cross and the struggle. But he saw the joy beyond the process. He saw the ability to not just crawl anymore on trees and not just eat from vegetation right in front of him, like I'm doing a reference to this calipiter here. But he saw a place where we would fly with him because not only was it going to change the way things were done from the past in the Old Testament, when his cross was put in the ground and he died, he wiped away every sin rolled forward. And when he died, he wiped away every sin ever confessed to him in the future. And I'm grateful that he died for me and that he shed his blood for me because there's only one way to conquer sin and that is for the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.12. We know for a fact that someone had to die in our place and Jesus did it for us. I'm going to preach just for a second on Job and I'm done. When you see the story of Job, you realize, and I know I'm excited, but just forgive me. I'm not trying to shout my way through this sermon. I want you to know that this is very important for you to understand. When you see that Job got up early, anytime you see in the scripture where they rose up early, it's an indication of urgency. That he got up early in the morning and he made sacrifices for his children because they were wealthy. Amen? They had money. Money. They had lands and they had had different things going on. It even seems in the scripture that they would gather together in each other's home to celebrate and have meals because it seemed to be more of a protection for their for their salvation and for them living godly, for them to get together in fellowship than to go into the worldly places in fellowship. But it's not even so much that. Job knew exactly where his children's spirituality was. He knew exactly what was going on. He got up early in the morning in Job 1 and he offered sacrifices for his kids and later on that day great struggle came and a house fell and it took all of his children's life and he literally lost everything and God replaced all of it but the beauty of it is that whenever sometimes you when you lose something as valuable as that you have to realize that God is working through the situation even when it feels like great loss I can't imagine 
what it was like to lose your children. I can't imagine the thought process of, I'll take these kids, but I'll give you other children. And I was talking with a friend not too long ago, and that person said, I couldn't ever really get over the loss of those kids just because I had new kids. And I understand as a heart, in the heart of a woman, I don't, I, I don't know if I can really understand, but the loss of a child is so great and difficult. I have friends going through that right now, and I just, it just hurts my heart because their son drowned a couple weeks ago. And I'm just like, how do you get over that? And I even see it represented in Job's wife where he, she, he, she sees him and she's like, why don't you just curse God and die? I wonder if that's not her heart hurting from the loss of her children. But in the, in the end, Job gets dr- double for his trouble, amen? He ends up getting it all back. And while some people will go, yeah, that's awesome, praise God, the mother's heart and some of the women in the room might go, yeah, but why would God take his kids in the first place? I want you to know that Job got up early in the morning and he offered sacrifices for his children. And there's no greater joy, according to the scripture, than to know that your kids are saved. And so when God took them off the planet, saved, he was giving them the greatest thing he could ever give them. And that was he saved all of Job's children. And though we don't process it the same way because we live here and we have some so many things that we have to interact with and now they're gone and not with us. I understand that creates such a chasm of understanding for us because we can't quite understand it. But I know this, if God gave them the reward of heaven and then he gave them new kids and new children that he was literally saying, I've given your children the best they could ever have. That's eternity with me. And the best we could ever give our kids is salvation in the church. So let me tell you this to finish. Job, this was not a one-time event when Job offered sacrifices for his children. Literally in the Old Testament, there was burnt sacrifices and sin sacrifices. And they offered and they slayed an animal in order for that animal's death to cover their sins because sin required death. And Job didn't do it alone. He gathered his children together and he would sacrifice the animal in front of them and say, this is for your sins. And, and I wish we could get a revival in the church of America of the severity of sin. If we don't bring our kids to church, if we don't show them what it costs to have sin recovered out of our life, if we don't show them what it takes for something to be washed away, we need a fresh look at the lamb is what I'm saying. Because whenever Job stood there and he'd take the life of a lamb, he would, something that happens in the human heart when something gets sacrificed for you, Something happens whenever you know your sin caused that. And they took a spotless lamb and they would sacrifice him. And Job said, this is to cover my children. They knew what that was like. Does your children know the process that you go through and the struggle that you go through? Are you real with them? Are you like Jesus where you're in, when you're going through the greatest trials of your life, you're like, This is so hard for me. I don't want to go through it. But God, if it's your will, I will do it. Do your children see that? Do they watch you struggle? Or do they just hear you talk about it like, I wish it didn't happen? Or do they hear you say, I believe God for better out of this? For the joy set before me, I'm going to believe God that there's something better out of this. That something's going to come out of this that I couldn't even see. So Jesus literally says, not my will, but thine be done. He 
dealt with everything we deal with. He was a God who divested himself of glory. He was a God who came to earth so that whenever you and I struggle, we don't have to think, there's a God up there that doesn't understand me. He literally literally created an acceptance and an understanding that he did it too. He walked dirty earth. He dealt with bad relationships. He, built, he dealt with people spitting in your face when you did nothing to them. He dealt with all of that stuff. And majesty became a man. I have, I have no true understanding of the metamorphosis that takes place in a human heart. But in the scripture I read to you, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, or be metamorphosed. Metamorpho, it's, it's a Greek word. I don't need to go into Greek there, but it means to be literally changed by the renewing of your mind. Somehow when we realize that we're not here on our own strength, we're not here because we're so good, we're here because of the promises of God. And sometimes the prayers that we get answered are not even because we're so good and we prayed such good prayers. They're prayers that are answered because of his promises for us. So if you allow me to, to pray over you, I'd like to tell you this. When I was younger, I really didn't have a thought of the future of what I was going to be or what I was going to do. I simply wanted to have a good time. I simply wanted to enjoy nature. I loved to snowboard and I loved to do things. But I didn't have the idea that I was going to carry a Bible around. Someone said, if someone said you're going to be a Bible thumper, that's not me. I'm really not. I was sitting talking to a person at the pool. My wife and I were sitting there. We just, it was in the evening this week. And I, I was talking to the lady and I told her something about the Lord. And I said, I don't know if you're a person of faith or not, but I, I, God does this for me. And there was like this little awkward space for a little while. And then all of a sudden she piped up and she said, well, just to get it out of the way, I'm really not a religious person. And I said, neither am I. She goes, what? She goes, you're a pastor. I said, I'm not religious. Jesus came to give me relationship, not religion. Religion is man's opinion of how to get to God. They build sacraments. They build cathedrals because they think that's what God wants. And all of it is dedicated to the Lord. I understand that. And there's places in Scripture where it talks about dedicating something to God. And it's right and it's good. And when we get into this new building, amen, I'm going to preach a sermon that I already know I'm going to preach it. It's, the title is As Unto the Lord. And I'm going to have big pillars standing right next to the thing. And I'm going to talk about the, the artwork that was done at the top of the pillars that nobody could see, but it was done as unto the Lord in the Old Testament. I'm going to preach that sermon. And I'm going to preach it soon. In a new place. But it's going to be dedicated unto the Lord. And so I didn't really understand the process of how God was working on me and using all things for my good. But when I got through, when I got through with a dad that went to jail, when I got through with all that stuff, and I got through a mom that loved me with a love 
That was so deep that she prayed for me. And when I got through with all that, something wired in me the ability to change everything I go through. Now I look at the process as a blessing. I know I'm long and I realize that. And I know some of you want me to quit. I'm, just give me a second, okay? If you will just take everything that God's done for you, take all the struggle and all the pain, and you will place it into God's hands. I promise you, he will not let that become something that doesn't help you. Right now, whenever I see somebody struggling with an addiction, I'm not thinking I'm better than them. I'm thinking I know how to reach to that. Because I've been through the process. And when they're talking about how difficult it is, I'm like, just stay in there. Just stay in there. And just deal with the, deal with the tightness of that situation. Deal with the struggle in that cocoon. Because you're going to come out of that different. Maybe, and I'm finishing with this. Maybe you don't know this, but inside the capillaries of those wings of that butterfly, our blood flow that's required, it needs veins, it needs arteries, it needs the ability to get blood to those wings in order for them to be alive. And when you're a caterpillar, you don't have that venous system. When they go into the cocoon, they literally, when they fight their way out of the cocoon, it literally forces blood and develops the capillaries that provide the, the wings that they fly on. So literally their struggle to fight out of it pushes through those intervenous systems and pushes blood into the extremities of those wings and it determines how big their wings are going to get. They fight and they fight and they fight and it literally develops their ability to fly. So, Whenever you fight something very difficult, just remember, it's not because God's trying to bring you down. It's because he wants to give you the biggest wings for you to travel on. I don't know if that resonates with you or not, but it resonates with me because I was supposed to be what my father was. I was supposed to be a generational cycle of abuse. I was supposed to be all that, Lisey, but I'm not because I struggled my way out and I don't eat the same things. I would be back here nourishing myself on the stuff that all the other people eat, all the other stuff that comes you know, along into people's life and they just, they just deal with it, but I'm actually in a whole different place now myself. I'm not talking about being better than anybody. I'm talking about the fact that I see things differently. I'm at a, a whole new level than I've ever been at before. And, and though the struggle is the same, hear me as I finish, would you stand with me? Though the struggle is the same, you are not at the same level as you used to be. Though you may be circling the same mountain of trouble again and again. Jacob, two decades later, had to confront his brother who he stole the birthright from. He's wrestling with an angel at night over the stuff that he had in his past. 20 years earlier, same struggle, still dealing with it. But he's at a whole new level now because he met with God. And it changed him. 
And now he forever has a limp that says, I don't look at it the same way. When I think about my struggles, I don't look at them the same way because I've got a different level of looking at it. Would you turn those lights off, Eden, for me? Let's pray. Some of you have had a limp. You've been walking through life with something that has been on you for a long time. And you thought, I need to beat this. I need to, I need to work out this problem. And Jacob had his name changed to Israel, but he never lost the limp. Because it was a place where he realized, I'll always struggle. But I won't always look at the struggle the same way. I'll always have burdens. But I won't always look at them because I'll have blessings. I'll always have things that are perplexing me. But I will always be able to trust His promises. Somebody right now is in the process. Don't hate God for the process because there's something that's birthed in you that changes you. You are never the same. Jesus, help somebody today. I don't know who I was speaking to today. Felt like I was preaching to myself, but there's somebody with their head bowed and their eyes closed right now. You're about to step into something that you are feeling overwhelmed by. You're about to walk into something where you doubt the promises of God. And maybe you've already been there this week at last. But I want you to know that it's designed for your destiny. It's made to manifest new things in you. I want to thank you, Jesus, for letting me know that you struggled too. And that I'm not any different when I struggle with something that tries to creep up from 10 and 20 years ago, I'm not any different. I'm just a human being in the struggle. Let my brothers and sisters know in this room that all of us struggle. That it's me too. If you fought something this week, chances are me too. You're with good company because we're all walking with a cross on our shoulders. We're all living a life filled with struggle, but we're living a victorious life because Joshua and Jericho taught us that you shout for victory before you have the victory. So I pray victory over somebody's life right now in Jesus' name. I pray a praise out of their process right now before they ever get to the victory. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. If you receive that, would you find a place to pray? Would you build in yourself right now the ability to praise God and have victory before the victory? Would you do something right now that tells the Lord, I'm invested. I'm invested in the promises, God. Even though I can't see them, I'm invested in the promises. I will put my effort in believing in you. Come on, let's go deeper together right now.